Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Jesus That's Good News podcast. This is a space where we share the gospel, aka the good news, to anyone who has a vulnerability to pull up a chair at Jesus' table with no reservation needed. Good morning, Devin. What's up, Julie? Nothing. I'm just sitting here basking in the glow of a Ohio coming. State. <laughs> An Ohio State victory yesterday against our good Catholic friends. I'm glad that you're doing that. Yeah. Who did? Uh, we were talking about it earlier. Did you say that UK played the School of the Blind? <laughs> no, I was saying that's probably the next team no. that Ohio State has on on deck here Stop because it. they usually play one powerhouse and then just have a pretty smooth sailing season after that until the playoffs so i saw miami of ohio really gave you guys a, <laughs> a good game yesterday so don't start hey we've come a long way uk football and we're just getting started i'll give you that the beauty of sports Yes, we love. I love it though. It's very exciting. I know uh, we were talking beforehand, and you said you're headed to the Bengals game next week. So who day? Very exciting. Who day? I cannot wait. We're going to tailgate. We're going to do the whole thing. So um, I'm excited about that. Looking forward to Sunday. And our savior Joey B has come. Speaking of Joey B, I have a scenario for you. All right, break it down. Um, I remember reading a book. Uh, by a guy named Donald Miller a long time ago, um, maybe 10 years ago. It's called Searching for God Knows What. And by the way, little side note, if anyone here is listening and you're having uh, questions about what it means to be a Jesus follower or you're new to your faith, uh, Dev and I highly want to recommend a book real quick. It's called Blue Like Jazz by a guy named Donald Miller. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, It was written maybe 12, 15 years ago, maybe even longer than that. But just a side note, I highly recommend that book. But I remember reading about this lifeboat analogy in his book, Searching for God Knows What. So here is your situation, Devin. Are you ready? Let's say there is a lifeboat mm-hmm. adrift at sea, and one person has to be thrown overboard to prevent the lifeboat from sinking. Now, which lifeboat? Okay, there's five people and only four of them can stay on the boat. So here are your choices. My question is, who do you throw overboard? Are you ready? The first one is Joey Burrow. The second one is a female doctor. The third one is a crippled child. The fourth one is a stay-at-home mom. And the fifth one is a garbage man. Who, and you don't have a choice. You can't say, oh, I wouldn't throw any of them overboard because I just love people. No. You have to choose one. Who do you throw overboard? Who do you throw? Save Joey B at all costs. I mean, how can I answer that? Everybody has worth, Julie. Do they really, though? Like, I mean, we're talking about a garbage man, Devin. (sighs) What if the garbage man was your child? Oh, I know. It'd be hard. I mean, but really, this, this is a great sociological experiment, so to speak, because we all have strong opinions about who we view as worthy in this world and who is not. Yeah. Why do we do that as humans? We put like value on people with that just walking down the street. I I do that. It's terrible. It is terrible. I do it too. I mean, do you think we're, are we naturally wired that way? I think so. I mean, probably just like going back to like just our primal selves. We try to see who is alpha in the room, right? Maybe that's just instinctual. I mean, or do you think it's instinctual that... 
we try to measure up to see if, if like we have value. Like if I was in that lifeboat, I hope someone would say, keep her. She, you know, she's like, she's got something to bring to the table. Yeah. The sad part is I, I'm not sure if this is why Donald Miller brought up this analogy in his book, but I mean, let's say that the lifeboat is not a lifeboat anymore, but it's the church. And I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you, Devin. Like, and I know, I know a little bit of your story. I I think that this judgmental spirit is killing the church straight out. It's interesting. Jody was sharing with me a conversation she had with, with someone, um, kind of about spiritual issues and, and the person made this statement, which is just, it's upsetting, but I totally understand where she's coming from. She said, you know, if this idea of judgment or you're holy on, you know, this hypocrisy, like acting like you're holy and you have it all together, but you're so not living that way. Like if that's what it's all about, the hypocrisy and the judgment, if that's what religion is, I just don't want really any part of it. And that is upsetting. That is not the good news. I wouldn't be on this lifeboat if it was a church, right? Yeah. Julie, you wouldn't be. No. Divorced. This is when they keep people out. We're off the boat. Yeah, failure to measure up to some outside standards, right? So how sad is that? Especially if, like, you and I were hungry for the word. Like, we want to be in the boat. We want to be in the church. But they're keeping us out. That's crazy. Our our value is being judged. But here's the good news, Devin. Tell me. We need it. Let me tell you this. The rules of the lifeboat don't apply. And let me tell you this, too. When I say the church, I'm not talking about a physical building. I'm talking about, you know, Christ is the body, right? Um, that he is welcoming all of those uh, to the tables we've talked about before. He's inviting everyone into the kingdom. And... If the kingdom is marked by judgment um, and who is in and who is out, then my friends, you're not a part of the kingdom of God. So the good news is, like I said, the rules of the lifeboat don't apply to the kingdom. And so we want to kind of talk about this judgmental spirit a little bit today. Powerful story, powerful story. Let's face it. I mean, it's got everything. We've got murder. We've got sex. We've got a little surprise ending here with Jesus. We've got a little mystery. I'm telling you, Devin, this is a hot story. So what do you think about this story? I know you've read it ahead of time. What do you think about it? I think this story paints the perfect picture of the ground is level at the cross. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but I love how Jesus flips the script in the scripture. Um. He really kind of puts people in their place. And I love that about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before we get all hot and heavy into this story, let's go ahead and invite everybody to open up their Bibles if they have it. If not, just go ahead and listen. But we're going to go to John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. So it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. 
But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you who is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Oh, man. So much in there, Devin. So much in there. So I'll do a little backstory and then we'll move forward. If you don't mind, we could do that. Yes. Set the scene. Give us the context. Context is everything. So let's do this. Make no mistake. Um, if you never, if you've, well, let me say this. If, if you've been a fan of the Pharisees and the keepers of the law before, they're real asshats in this one. In this one. If I can say that, I, they just are. Yes. Call it how it is. I don't, I don't know. I can't imagine a hat made of ass, but <laughs> this is awful. Like, I don't know yeah. how else to describe them, Devin. They are terrible in this. So in so many ways. Yes, yes. A, they are probably trying to catch this woman in the act of adultery, meaning they're snooping in on whatever house that this is going down in. Probably watching, waiting for it to happen, which is disgusting. Yeah. Then they kick down the door, come and get this woman in the middle of the act. So that's crazy. Yeah. Then they bring her, drag her. In front of all these people, mind you, yeah. they probably didn't give her the time to put clothes on. So this girl is naked. No doubt. Yeah. In front of everybody. Probably screaming, right? Crying. Like, oh my God. Yeah. So now she's in front of the public. Yeah. Because it says, by the way, that a crowd had gathered to listen to Jesus. So the, there's already there's a crowd there. Here's my favorite part. The Pharisees bring her to Jesus not only to condemn her, but to try to trick Jesus. Oh, yeah. And so the best part of this is Jesus flipped the script and the Pharisees got got. Yeah, they did. Totally. Like, if I'm in the crowd, I just wanted to come to church and enjoy a great message from this nice little rabbi who's teaching. Why is, by the way, I would say that this woman probably had a um, had a, a history, a reputation like, if I'm in the crowd, I'm thinking, why are they bringing that whore into church? Mm. Why are they mm-hmm. dragging her in here? Oh, here comes slutty Betty. Sl- <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm covering my children's eyes because I don't want them to see this naked woman. And, you know, Junior, little little Junior, you don't know what she does. You know, she's an awful person and all this stuff. The whole thing is just nothing but complete humiliation, manipulation. There's nothing good out of any of this. It's just... It's a ridiculous thing, right? It's an awful, awful thing. I think the reason, first and foremost, that the Pharisees are doing this, Devin, is because they're jealous of Jesus. He is preaching a countercultural message of love and compassion and, and claiming to know the heart of God. So they bring her to say, what are you going to do about her, Jesus? Oh, yeah. Are you going to follow the law or not? Yeah. Give us like the, the details of the law and the context there. Yeah, because if you look in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, um, you will find that adultery is a capital offense. Meaning death. 
It means death, period. Yeah. Stoning. And by the way, stoning of the man and the woman, but where's the man in this story? Repeat that again for the people in the back. The last time I checked, now I have been, unless things have changed, I have been divorced since 2005. Now, I don't know if sex has changed since then. Y'all, I'm telling you, it's been a while, okay? But the last time I checked, sex took two people. Julie, I'm here to tell you, it, indeed it does. Is that it how it works? It takes two to tango. It, well, I'm, yep, you have to have a bird and a bee, or a bee and a bee, or a bird and a bird. But <laughs> it takes two of them. It takes two, right? So where's the guy in this whole thing? Yeah. I mean, I guess he's just smoking a cigar back at the house saying, well, yeah, you know. Kicking it. Look how that one played out. Sucks for her. So obviously, I, I think that guy was maybe in on the act. They didn't drag mm. him out. They just mm-hmm. dragged her out into public. Here she is standing literally naked, nowhere to hide. Can't even hide probably over her own clothing. You know, can't even pull a, a shawl over her head. So before we go even any further, I want us to pause for just a moment. And I want us to think about our worst misdeed ever. This, the source maybe of your greatest shame. That thing that if you could go back and change, that you would change that. Now, imagine that that act is up for very public scrutiny. Wow. What would you be hoping for in that moment? An escape. Yeah, hoping for an escape. I, I, cannot, I cannot imagine that scenario. I'll be honest with you, Devin. I cannot imagine that scenario of my worst mistake or mistakes being open to public viewing, ridicule, shame. I, I, I just can't imagine that. But I think Jesus sniffs this one out from the beginning. I really do. And I think the woman is the least of Jesus's issues right now. I, I think if this is happening, Jesus is saying, oh my God, oh my father, <laughs> you know, like they're doing it again. They're trying to test me again. Like, I wish they would just like give this a break. But herein lies the dilemma. I think you nailed it perfectly. The dilemma is the following. Will Jesus respect the law and have her stoned? Or will he pardon her, let her off the hook, and disobey what the law says to do? Yeah. So they're trying to trap him for sure. And I don't think Jesus can have it both ways. I mean, I think the crowd in the midst of all this is thinking, wow, this is an interesting scenario. What's Jesus going to do here? Yeah. And I think they're probably wanting an answer. I mean, this, this woman was guilty. She had no case to plead at all. She was caught in the act. And if you're in that crowd, by the way, and if you're the Pharisees, like, can you feel that sense of superiority that you would have? Like, I would never. Yeah. Just waiting on Jesus to make his move while you're kind of just setting him up for kind of like what you did to me earlier in the podcast. You set him up for failure. <laughs> They're trying to set him up. Yeah, trying to set him up. And so much for, you know, if he chooses to have her stone, so much for the compassionate rabbi, right? Here's this, this rabbi is always walking around talking about love and mercy and compassion. Mm-hmm. But if they agree to allow her to be murdered like the law demands. It's all out the window. Yeah, his ministry is discredited. So he does exactly what you said, Devin. He flips it and he does something really bizarre. He kneels down and just starts writing something in the sand. Something so powerful to make people start leaving. 
Yeah. And so, I mean, this is one of the great mysteries. This might be one of those questions that a lot of the saints, when they get to heaven, ask Jesus, like, I'm down with your whole ministry. But the great, the great question through all of it was, what in the world did you write in the sand? He stands back up and says, if any of you is without sin, cast the first stone. And then he kneels down again and he starts writing in the sand. And it's like you said, it must have been something so powerful that people start walking away. Because they come up, they read it, and they're like, ooh, don't want any part of that. I've sinned. I'm out of here. I'm not throwing the stone. Mm-mm. It makes you wonder if he starts writing like the Pharisees' sins. Mm. Like, hey, Joe, I know that you did this. And he starts writing out his sin. And Joe's like, shit, I've been caught. <laughs> I'm out. I don't want to be publicly shamed. Amazing how that works, right? If that was the case. Like, no, not me. I don't want to be publicly shamed. And yet here they are with this woman. I think the ultimate question in all of this, Devin, is who do we identify with most in this story? And I want to talk about it a little bit more as we move through here. But first and foremost, before we talk about anybody else, my heart goes out to this woman. I was thinking about the story this week and... I mean, she, she had a name, you know, she belonged to somebody. Um, and maybe she had a story, Devin. I mean, maybe there was a reason that she was out looking for love, um, sexually wherever she could find it. And we know nothing about where she came from. We know nothing about her background. Maybe the guy manipulated her into doing mm. this. Yeah. And she was just used as a ploy. Yeah. What if she's been manipulated by men her whole life? Exactly. You know, I think she probably walked around town with the label of whore, slut. Um, I don't know if technically she was a prostitute, but I mean, I think at different times we all know what it's like to wear a label. I mentioned earlier and I joked about being divorced, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the divorced one in our family. You could be known as the divorced one, the mean one, um, not to, I hope it's okay to say this, but like Devin, like, I'm sure people have referred to you as the gay one, right? Wearing that label, people could be the one who embezzled, the one who is a drunk, the one who, you know, I don't know what it would be. And those who don't identify then with that label that's been put on you, kind of stand up on their pedestals with their stones in their hands, right? The stones of judgment and condemnation. But Jesus says, Devin, to you that you're more than your sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. He says to me, I'm more than my marital orientation, right? The label that Jesus puts on us is not the label that the world puts on us or heaven forbid the organized church puts on us. But Jesus says straight out, You are a beloved son or daughter of God whom I love and delight in. And to that, the thing that I love about Jesus is that he sees us, quote, sinners, and he calls us towards him. It's Mm -hmm. the sinners that he loves, Mm -hmm. not the people who have their act all together. And he sees our sins for what they are. And I say sins loosely, by the way, quote, unquote, sins. Sure. Like, for example, for this woman, not only does he call her into him, but he invites her to a new life, 
to mm. a new opportunity. Yeah. He's yeah. always opening the door for change for us. And we just have to step through it. Yeah, he's not interested in behavior management. He's interested in, like, changing my life. And that that day, that woman's life had had to change. Imagine what went over her mm. when he said to everybody in the crowd, if you haven't sinned, then go ahead and throw the stone. Mm. And then as she just sees everybody leave the room, he saved her that day. He literally saved her life. Yeah. that day imagine the emotional transformation that went into our heart that day that's powerful yeah and you know what just hit me as you're saying that he says let the one without sin right cast the first stone and i wonder if she's looking at all those religious people devon standing around and her and in her mind she's thinking they've they must be perfect like yeah they're they're churchy people They've got it you all know, together. They've got it all. They, they follow the rule to a T. And what she learns in that moment is following the rules does not mean you're without sin. Mm-hmm. Like nothing within them has been changed or transformed, right? She starts to realize what you said earlier, that the ground is level at the cross. Yep. Like that woman woke up that day to the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. And within a matter of hours, everything changed. Everything was flipped upside down. Man, it's amazing how Jesus can do that. That's why Jesus is Jesus. You could be waking up, you guys, and you're listening to this, and you could be feeling like you're stuck in the same old, same old. And I'm telling you, Jesus can flip the script by the end of the day. And the crazy thing about this is I think the last person that we identify with is Jesus himself. Mm. Like how often am I the one to bring love and mercy and grace to those who need it most. And I hate saying that. Mm. It's a powerful confession, isn't it? Right. Like, I think more often I'm the one holding the rock mm. in the crowd. I'm the one who has showed up to church to listen to the message because I want to do like the right thing. So I go to church, but I'm the first person to pick up a rock. Or to watch it all go down and not say anything. Right. Yeah, like I I do identify with the woman caught in the sin. But I think if I was to say, do I more often compare myself to Jesus or recognize or or, uh, empathize with Jesus in this scenario? Or am I more like the crowd? Devin, I have to confess most days I'm like the crowd. Mm. I'm ready to throw people under the bus. Right. And my friends, if you're listening to this, just go to Walmart and see how often you judge people. Yes. I have a friend who she is literally the most compassionate and empathetic person I know. There'll be times where I just want to talk shit about somebody <laughs> and she's not participating. I'm like, come on, <laughs> give me just this one thing. And she won't do it, huh? And she won't do it she's been through so much in her life that she always tries to see the good in somebody and I am just so impressed by her Mm. because of that and I want to be around her more so I can kind of get that I want that I want to be more like Jesus in that way I want to be more like Janie Janie Geisler I love you oh that's awesome she is just such a good hearted person so WWJD what would Janie do is that what what you're saying what would Janie do yeah she just 
she has the heart of Jesus in this mm. in this matter. She's always wanting to give somebody compassion and grace. I love that. I I think she's in your life for maybe that very reason. You know, to show you what that looks like, Devin. Um, I think we talked about how there is no coincidence. And uh, maybe Janie is there to bring that perspective to you and say, hey, you know, stop being a person in the crowd throwing the stones. And um, maybe, you know, be more like me. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's a good question to ask yourself. Who in your life is a Janie? Who in your life is a Jesus? Yeah. Who's showing compassion and grace and mercy first and foremost. Yeah. Billy Graham was like a presidential spiritual advisor to the president. And he was um, quoted as saying, you know, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, but my job to love. And that's, I, I want to adopt kind of that mindset that, you know, God will sort everything out in the end. But Jesus made it very clear that we are called to love God with everything that we have and love our neighbor as ourselves. And there's no asterisk at the end saying, except for these individuals, yes, you know, except for it. people who are hooking up with, you know, John down the street and being brought out into public. I mean, I think my sister Jody says it best, you know, more love, less judgment. Amen. Um, it's yeah. a conscious effort that we have to make. Oh, gosh. Yes. We have to do the work. We have to train our brains to not judge first, but to love first. There's some sort of scientific number that it's like 27 days, 31 days, I don't know, to create a habit. Let's try to start that this week. Just one day at a time to judge less. And Devin, a great way to test yourself. I'm not kidding. Go to Kroger. Go to Walmart. Go to Target. I don't care where you go. But go and just start noticing like how you look at people and immediately thoughts come into your head. And what if we did what you said a couple weeks ago when we were talking about judgment? You know, what if we're looking at people and we wish them love and light and go on? Yeah. Man, I'll be blessing the entire store. (laughs) I mean, just think about the change that would make in your life. Oh, yeah. You have to be a happier person, a more positive person with that kind of mindset. You would have to be. It just, it doesn't make sense why we don't do that, but rather we stay in the judgment. Right. We need to try to view the world through God's lenses. Absolutely. It makes all the difference in the world. You know, how often, by the way, when you look back in scripture, how many of Jesus's miracles were about giving new sight to the blind? I mean, maybe there's something to this. Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm going to give you new eyes in this situation. New perspective. New eyes. Yeah, that's right. New perspective, new way of seeing things. And this is not to say this is all roses and butterflies, because this would be hard. This would be a hard, challenging week for me. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yes. We have said this before, Devin, that if you're really going to love the way that Jesus is saying you have to love, it's hard work. So back to the story real quick. Can you imagine what the woman felt as she kind of heard the stones fall out of people's hands and she starts seeing them walk away? I cannot imagine. I think there was this total mix of like hope and excitement and fear. And like Jesus says, go, you know, go live this new life. 
you know, go and sin no more. Go like, go, go do this thing. And I'm, I wonder if she's thinking, can I do this? Can I really do this thing? Can I, can I live a new life? I'm sure it was frightening for her. Yeah. She only knew one way to live. The irony, I think, of this story is that the men who wanted to use this woman for dark purposes did for her the great, they gave her the greatest gift ever, Devin. She's thinking, I'm getting dragged into, into death. I'm getting dragged into, the, into the, the, the most evil kind of situation. And yet, the great irony is they bring her in front of Jesus, who was the epitome of light and hope and love and in a tremendous turnabout. They change her life for the better and not for the worse. That in and of itself is a miracle. Yeah, those men wanted to take her to her death, but they actually brought her new life. Yeah, they were expecting nothing good to come from the entire situation. They didn't care. The entire thing was supposed to be a shit show. And instead, Jesus, again, flips the script and becomes an amazing part of biblical tradition and history. And so we see the lifeboat analogy in this case just completely fall apart. I mean, this great social experiment that the Pharisees were wanting to, to have um, disintegrates in the kingdom of God. Jesus is like, those rules that you're trying to apply to people, they don't fit in here. They don't work here. And like you said, we all come broken, and yet we all come loved, and we stand on the same solid ground. It's beautiful. Devin, I, you know, we joke a lot in the podcast and I don't, I don't know about, well, I do know about you. I do know the reason we started this. Like we want to see people's lives changed by God. Like, and we hopefully are giving people like the encouragement to do that. We have said it before and I'll say it again, that lives are, are transformed and changed either through great love or great pain. It's amazing. This woman in the story experienced great pain and then she experienced great love and it made all the difference. And I want people here to like be transformed by the great love and the good news that we have for them. The love that comes from Jesus. And so at the end of the story, I think the, this reads two ways. I, I can read this story, but this story reads me. It's like a mirror. This, is a gr- this, this story is like a great reflection of where I stand in the kingdom. And it begs two questions. How am I seen by Jesus? If, if, and I'm asking the people that are listening, Devin, this question. And Devin, I'll ask you this question too. I mean, like prior to that January phone call, you know, how, how did you view yourself seen by Jesus? Unworthy. I didn't measure up. I think many of us view ourselves that way. And I think Jesus's reply is, uh, by God, you do measure up. In my kingdom, you do. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one question we can ask ourselves. And then I think the other question we have to ask is, how am I seeing others? Again, through the lenses of Christ or not. And my friends, I am praying for you this week that you hear the contagious voice of grace and truth and that it fills you to such an overflowing point that you can't help but go out and love others as well. Amen. And may it be so.
So for next week, Devin, uh, I know that uh, part three of Devin's 30th birthday victory <laughs> tour will be taking place. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with celebrating you. So you're going to end the summer with a get together with your friends. Um, yes. And right now, uh, let's just be honest. I'm not sure what direction we're going to go with next week's message. But Devin and I are th- like, we're thinking about things coming up in the next couple of weeks. And we might be bringing on some special guests to share some stories. Yeah, give new insight and new perspective. So we're looking forward to that. And in the meantime, as always, Julie's going to be sharing all sorts of good stuff on the Facebook page. So check us out there on the Jesus That's Good News Facebook page. Did you see um, the little girl the other day so excited to get the broccoli? <laughs> yes. So cute. Talk about contentment. I mean, so Devin, next week at Devin's final 30th birthday bash, if someone gets you a stock of broccoli, will you be as happy as... wild. You'll be happy. I'm going to be so content. That's the level of contentment you're at. I love it. Okay. I know what I'm sending you. (laughs) Perfect. Broccoli. It might stink by the time it gets there to you, but look out for your broccoli. All right. I'll know who it's from. And another birthday gift that all of our listeners can give me is a five-star review. Yay! I'm kidding. But please, uh, if you are enjoying the podcast, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. And until next week, who day, baby? So on behalf of Julie and myself, here's to the good news. May we be it. May we seek it. May we spread it. So pull up a seat. There's no reservation needed. Be well, friends. More love, less judgment. At Jody Gillen. <laughs>